Don't worry, I'm not going to paint today. <laughs> I'm okay at a computer with Photoshop and Illustrator, but with brushes and paint, I'm just not so good at that. So I wish. I know there's some people in here that are, though. So um, if you want to know later, I can let you know their names. I'm sure they're, they'd love to help you out if you want to learn how to paint. So, All right, let's just go ahead and bow our heads this morning, and uh, I'm just going to start with a prayer. And dear God, I just thank you so much um, for the opportunity to be able to come up here and just sh- share what you've laid in my heart. Um, God, I know in studying this topic, uh, it's, it's one that we all deal with. It's one that when we start to begin to study ourselves in it, that we realize how, how much it affects us. And God, I just pray today that it be none of me, and it be all of you, God, that speaks through me, that your Holy Spirit would just saturate this place. And God, let us leave this place with the heart of humility, and just with an attitude that God in you, we live, and you, we move. God in you, we have our being. And God, I just pray that it would be our prayer the rest of this week. God, thank you for that. Amen. Amen. So I first want to begin um, and talk today. I wanted to put up some quotes, and I want to see if you guys could name who said these things. So let's go ahead and put up the first one. And here's what it says. I am the number one human being in music. That means any person that's living or breathing is number two. Can you, can you tell me who that might have been? Who may have said that? Jimi Hendrix? No? That's, that's a good guess, though. That's a good guess. John Lennon? No. Let's look to modern-day rap music. I'll give you a hint. Oh, wow. You all knew that one. That was good. Kanye West. You know, there's a whole website I learned that's dedicated to Kanye-isms of what he said. So, I mean... Yeah, that tells you how, what kind of an individual he is. What about the next one? I'm not conceited. Conceit is a fault, and I have no faults. <laughs> so we're going to take it back. <laughs> Who? What did you say? <laughs> Donald Trump? <laughs> you wouldn't be wrong on that one. I'm sure he would say that one. But he didn't say this particularly, though. So this is 80s, 80 politician, right? 80s rock. 80s rock. Popular guitarist in the 80s rock band. Nope. Famous song, Jump. So Eddie didn't say it. His guitarist did David Lee Roth. So so he said that. And we'll do one more. And this one I'm sure you'll get, especially my dad's generation. It's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. Muhammad Ali. Yes. Muhammad Ali. What'd you say? What'd you say? Yeah, nothing. <laughs> You're close. Muhammad Ali. So he said he's also the greatest. But, but when, you, when you see people that elicit statements like that, what do we think of? We think they're arrogant, right? How dare they say that? You know? And, and, and that's something I think that we see it in some people. But as we look through the Old Testament, we're going to look at some pictures, portraits of pride. And these are pretty outlandish. But I'm going to argue the point that I don't think our pride in our world is very outlandish. Matter of fact, it's more deceivious in how it portrays itself in our own lives. But first, let's begin to look in the Old Testament. We're going to look at King Nebuchadnezzar. So in the book of Daniel, in the few chapters there in the book of Daniel, we see King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, to be able to do this, I kind of have to paraphrase a lot because we're, we're looking at a few different individuals in the Old Testament, and there's a lot of things that are going on. But King Nebuchadnezzar was a Babylonian king, and he came in, he, he, he got rid of 
pretty much destroyed Jerusalem. He took a bunch of captives out of Judah. He takes them back to Babylon, and he, he puts them in places of prominent position to some degree. And we see Daniel become one of the most prominent because he's able to interpret King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. But what's funny is his dreams are pretty prideful. And as I was studying pride, I looked at different words that describe pride. And the one word I came for, came to with the King Nebuchadnezzar was vanity. So why did I choose vanity? Well, the definition of vanity is excessive pride in or admiration of one's own appearance or achievements. That's what he struggled with. So the first dream he has is about a statue, a statue of different types of metal. The top is gold, the middle is silver, then it's iron, and then, and then it ends up down being iron and clay. And the statue represents different kingdoms. And of course, Daniel gives him the interpretation and says, you are the head. You're the, you're the golden kingdom. You're the kingdom that God has put you over, and there is not a thing that is not underneath your reign. This is what, David, this is what Daniel tells King Nebuchadnezzar. And so King Nebuchadnezzar at that moment is grateful. He recognizes that God had given this to Daniel and says, oh, but your God is great and mighty, and he recognizes God for who he is. Now some time goes along. We see King Nebuchadnezzar then make an image of gold. And what happens is he makes this big image of gold, and he says, you know what? I want everybody in the land, when the trumpets blow, to bow down to it. Well, here we see three individuals, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Say that real fast, right? Say that real fast. You see these three individuals not bow down. They won't bow down to this golden image. And so King Nebuchadnezzar tries to punish them, throws them into the fiery furnace. In the fiery furnace, we see a fourth individual that wasn't thrown in the fire, who we say is the son of... Nebuchadnezzar looks in there and says it looks like the son of man, which is a reference to Jesus. And so here we see a king exalt himself, but then again reminded that these three individuals got thrown in the fire. They weren't harmed. They walked out unscathed, unburned. And here again, King Nebuchadnezzar sees a God who is greater than he is. Okay? It's this back and forth. His vanity overtakes him. He makes a great big image. And then God reminds him of who he is. But then it happens again. Another dream happens. And in this dream, he dreams of a tree. This tree grows, and eventually this tree gets cut down. And Daniel has to interpret the dream one more time. And this time he's a little bit more fearful of interpreting it because he has to tell the king that you're going to lose your mind. Now, how would you like to be somebody like Daniel coming into king knowing that he can cut your head off right at that moment, saying, hey, I'm sorry, king, but you're going to lose your throne for seven years. So he's a little bit fearful. The king at first doesn't know how this is going to happen. He takes the dream, doesn't kill Daniel. Daniel gets to live. But then we see in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 28 through 33, here's how it goes down. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, twelve months after Daniel tells, of, tells the interpretation of the dream, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? He didn't learn again. Yet again, he makes a statement that sends him for seven years in a peculiar situation. We'll come back to that. My thing is that pride, why I have this up here, pride paints a portrait of itself. Always, each and every time. No matter how pride 
decides to paint a picture, it's always going to paint a picture of itself. Let's leave Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to go to the book of Esther now. We're going to look at Haman. Okay? Haman was a man who had found favor with the king there of Persia. How many of you guys have seen A Night with the King, the movie A Night with the King? Have you seen that? It's a good movie about Esther and, and what happened there. For the most part, it does a really good job interpreting it. Um, you know, there's always liberties in Hollywood they take with the Bible, so there's some, but for the most part, it's pretty good. But here's why I picked Haman. Haman was a guy who was just bent on being as big as he could. You may have encountered an individual like this, somebody who's just always about them. No matter what it is, at whatever cost it takes, they are about them. No matter who it takes to step on, to walk on, to bribe, whatever, they're going to make sure that they are elevated on top. And so I love the word hubris as a definition for Haman. Here's a definition, excessive pride or self-confidence. So it's just another way of saying pride, but I was like, yeah, that's exactly what Haman elicits, hubris. Here's an example. See, again, there's a lot in the story of Haman. Haman wants to be, pretty much he wants to be king, but he knows he can't, so he's going to be as number two as, as best as he can. But he ends up running into this one guy, Mordecai, who's Esther's uncle. Esther becomes the queen. Mordecai won't bow down to Haman. And so Haman finds every way to make sure that he can rid not only Mordecai, but his whole nation from the face of the planet. And the king gives him the right to do that. What the king does is gives him the power and the authority to do that. And he gets to this point, this elevated point. And then in, in Esther chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, we read this. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, Even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her to go together with the king. So here's a man. He's figured out how to kill all the Jews, of which Esther is, as, which, as well as Mordecai. And he's sitting in his home, and he's bragging about how loved he is by the king and what the king has done for him. He's, he's eliciting this hubris. And then we'll get to the part where we see a major downfall. But again, pride paints a self-portrait. Then I want to look in the Second Chronicles. We're going to look at King Uzziah. So this is a little bit different type of pride. This is a little pride that I think a lot of times us as Christians may embrace. So King Uzziah was a king. He did what was right in the sight of God. God blessed him. He was able to rebuild um, a lot of, of the, the, the nation of Israel, to fortify his armies, and to put in leaders to lead those armies. And he had done great things through God's blessing. But sometimes we let God's blessings become our downfall. How many guys have heard the quote, maybe you've said it yourself, if you want a job done right, what? Do it yourself. And that's exactly what King Uzziah does. He gets to the point in Second Chronicles here, chapter 26, in verse 16 through 18, he says, but when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. 
For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor and they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary for you have done wrong and it will bring you no honor from the Lord your God. See, we see three pictures of pride. We see vanity, somebody who was continually reminded of God, by God, who he was. And, and, it, and in moments, he subdued, and he let his pride go, but it kept coming back. His vanity kept coming back. And then we see Haman, a man who was just full of pride from the get-go. It never subdued. It never left him. He was always constantly about him and himself only. And then we see Uzziah, a man who God had loved and who had God had done great things through to rebuild his nation and out of that wealth and out of that blessing we see a king who falls prey to pride. Again, pride paints a self-portrait. So what's this mean for us? I started doing a lot of reflecting. You know, you start looking at pride, you're going like, oh man, I'm sure I elicit pride every day. How do I do this? And I'm thinking of different ways that I maybe do it. And I was thinking at home. How do I do it at home with my wife? How do I become prideful and maybe arrogant and things? And I was thinking like the dishes, okay? Doing the dishes in the dishwasher. So I, I'm very structured. Like I put cups in by rows and, and the plates in certain slots. And, and my wife, she just kind of throws it in there. But it's prideful for, of me to not, but I'll go in there and I'll fix how she did it. That's prideful. I should just be grateful, right, that they're in there. I do that with the clothes, right? Right, babe? So, she's, she's a speed demon, man. She can get it done. She gets it done quick. I'm, I'm like my mother. I'm very articulate and just have to go in there nice and neat and look clean and all that stuff, except for my shoes. My shoes are everywhere. But, but, but we elicit those things at home. Sometimes rather than being grateful for just being done, we want it done our way. It has to be done my way or it's not the right way. So we're prideful in those things. What about our jobs? What about our jobs when we're with our bosses? How many times have we had the thought like, man, if, if I was the boss, I would have done this. If I was the boss, I would have done this. I would have done that. I wouldn't have said this. I would have said this. How many times have we put ourselves in a position of authority that we did not deserve that if our boss heard that, how much harm would that cause? That's pride. It's arrogant for us to think. I firmly believe in the fact that God puts in the people in our lives above us because he has a purpose for that. Whether we like it or not, God sets up and sets down the rulers of the world. And so we need to submit to that authority that he's put in our place. And sometimes that's hard. Now, I'm not saying that if, you know, you're being taken advantage of in, in a very illegal way, that yes, there's definitely scenarios like that. But when, it's, when, it's, when it comes down to basics of just because I don't agree 
or because I don't like them or because they said something or maybe they gave you a bad review because you deserved it and now you're getting prideful because you didn't think you did. You know, there's different scenarios that we have to be very cognizant of that we be careful of pride because it will destroy all the relationships you have. Like what C.S. Lewis said in his uh, book, Mere Christianity, it says, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. How can we really be following God if we're looking down on everybody else? Our pride gets in the way. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Again, Pride paints a self-portrait. It's all it can think of is the individual. So, how did King Uzziah, how was he humbled? Well, in Second Chronicles 26, verses 20 through 21, we read, And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him, and King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. See, go to the next slide there, Heather. King Uzziah, he lost his health and his kingdom. Leprosy in those days was a major illness. Nobody wanted to be around you. Nobody wanted to touch you. Nobody wanted to see you. So they took the king. They put him in a separate house. He probably still had all the luxuries of, of the king, but he was removed from any decision. Anything that he had built under God has now gone. He lost his health and his kingdom. Again, pride paints a self-portrait. How was Haman humbled? So Haman kind of got a double dose of humility. So he hated Mordecai to the point to where he wanted to have him killed. So he goes to the king, kind of wanting to petition the king to kill Haman. And, and the king had learned that Mordecai had saved his life. And so the king asked Haman, what would you do to recognize a man who had saved the king? And Haman, being as cocky as he was, having that hubris that he says, he's thinking of himself, saying, oh, the king's going to bless me. So he comes up with this grand scheme. He says, I, want, I would have the king take that man, put his robe on him, put him on the king's horse, put the king's ring on him, and have a nobleman take him and parade him through the town to show the city how much the king loved that individual. So this is all, he's thinking this of himself. He's going like, oh, this is what the king's going to do for me. This is awesome. Look at this. He's going to do this for me. And here he goes. The king goes, all right, go get Mordecai. Do what you said and parade him around the town. So there's the first slap in Haman's face of his pride. The second is Queen Esther finds the favor of the king invites Haman and the king to a dinner at which they attend. Queen Esther then lets the king know that she is a Jew and that this man, Haman, has picked them out to destroy them and the king is furious. And Haman, pleading for his life, falls on the queen. The king comes in, blames him of, a, of another sin as well. And what Haman had done is he had built gallows to hang Mordecai on and the king said, go and hang him on the gallows that he had built. So twice Haman had to eat the pride that he elicited. 
And you can read all that in the book of Esther and the chapters about three through seven. And it, I encourage you to go home and read these stories. You know, that's what I love about the Old Testament is there's all these examples that we can look to to apply to our lives. Even though it may have happened 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago, all these stories still apply to our life today. Then we get to King Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel 4, 28 and 33. So we'd read what happened. He had lifted himself up again. His vanity had shown. And then here's what happens in verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof. We'll repeat that again. At Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built my, by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Bear Gryllis ain't got nothing on King Nebuchadnezzar. For seven years, he ate grass. Literally, that's it. And lived like a wild animal. Crazed out of his mind. Pride cometh before a fall. But here's what I love about Nebuchadnezzar. And over the summertime, Pastor Bill's going to go more through the book of Daniel to kind of teach more of other, the other stories that have happened. But here's what I love about Nebuchadnezzar the most. And here's what I wanted to end with, with him as far as painting those pictures. He says this in the 34th verse in chapter 4. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. So after those seven years. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an internal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So we see a king, after seven years, finally turns his eyes up and says, you know what? There's not a thing I can ever do that will compare to who God is. And let all the world know that if you embrace pride, He will humble you. A saying I've been saying, pride paints a self-portrait. Here's the last part of it. But humility hands God the brush. 
So often we want to paint the picture of our own lives. We want to make a career out of ourselves. We want to do these great things. I love my son Parker. And I love him and he goes throughout the house and every week we can see, Daddy, I'm going to be rich one day and I'm going to build you a big house and you and Mom are going to have your own wing to live in and, and you're, we're, going to, we're going to just build this and me and Cam are going to live together and, and you love because out of that there's such innocence. But doesn't that become a reality for a lot of us adults? We want to build our kingdom. We want to build our wealth. We want to build our things for us so that we can have all these toys and all these things and a lot of times it doesn't happen because we're like, that's our main goal. It just happens because we let competition with our neighbors or our coworkers or our friends or maybe our family members. We let all that get in the way and we want to lift ourselves up. We want to exalt ourselves up. We let pride get in the way. It's funny because when you look back to Lucifer, you look at him and Satan in the garden. What's the very tool he used to get Adam and Eve to take a bite of the apple? Don't you want to be like God? And out of that one statement, they said, yeah, we do. And pride has been the destruction of mankind throughout the ages. Because everybody is trying to build their own kingdom, even political parties. Corporations, we all are in some way or some fashion. So I was talking to Dan this week. We were talking. Um, Chris was at a conference, and um, Bill Bill was kind of in and out, getting ready for um, his trip this weekend. And Dan and I were talking about humility, and it's like, how do you, how do you give like three points to be humble? Because the moment, minute you say you're humble, you're prideful. I mean, really, right? It's it's like, how do you do that? How do you how? Here's your goal and success to be humble, take these three steps, and, and yeah, I'm humble. No, you're not. You just start the whole thing back over again. <laughs> so the best way I, I thought to maybe word it was ways to move towards humility. Because honestly, remember, pride paints a self-portrait, but humility hands God the brush. He is the one that will instill humility in you. Fenelon, he was a Catholic um, apologeticist in, in the past. He said, humility is not a grace that can be acquired in a few months. It is the work of a lifetime. The only way we can move towards humility is really, I came up with a couple steps, a couple things that we can try. And number one was to admit your weaknesses. Don't be afraid to admit when you're weak. Or maybe you don't have the skill set to do that. Don't just try. Ask for help. But what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 11, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because God moves in our weaknesses, not in our strengths. Two, we can admit when we're wrong. That's hard to do, isn't it? 
We like to be right. James 5 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So let us admit those times when we're wrong and find people to be accountable with to help us to be humble. Third, be curious. My dad's always told us boys, my brothers and I, that when you're in a room full of people that you don't know, you know, the best thing you can do is talk to that person about who? About that person. We love to talk about ourselves. But uh, growing up, I find that most people don't want to inquire about you. You can ask them all the questions, but they'll never give that conversation back. So be curious. Be interested in other people and what they're doing. Don't be afraid to ask them questions. Find out what they're doing. Maybe you'll hear a story about how they're hurting. And maybe that's an opportunity for you to share Christ with them. Or to pray with them. Or maybe just to be a friend that they haven't had. And the last one. I think probably the one that we need to do the most is we need to get on our knees. Matter of fact, I would say even lower. Get prostrate on the ground because God's bigger than us. He always will be. And there is not a depth that I can go to that compares to his great greatness. Now, hear me out. These are Parts of pride that are very blatant sometimes in our lives that we have to keep in check. There's still good types of pride, like when I'm proud of my son, or I'm proud of my wife, or I'm proud of my team, or my church. When we rally together, it's a pride that isn't focused on I, it's focused on we. So just to close out the service today, we're going to sing this song, I Lay Me Down. I'm not my own. And I want to encourage you. If maybe you need to repent of some pride in your life, that's okay to take a knee. If you want to come down front and kneel down here and just spend some time with God or in your chair, I encourage you to take that time and say, God, whatever's in me that's not of you, I want it gone. I want this pride to be removed because I don't want to get it in the way of what you have in store for me. I love what Mark said last week in the video. It's not us that built this building. It's Christ in us. Throughout the years of Great Oaks, it's Christ in the people that have served here, that have led people to his throne room so they can make a commitment to him. So as we sing this song, I lay me down, I'm not my own. Let's make this our prayer. Let's make this a proclamation that all the pride in us, God, even though we will still struggle with it, we're going to let it go. And we're going to keep coming back to you so that we can live and move and be in you, God, and you alone. Let's pray.
God, I just um, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you've done in my life. God, help us to remember that we don't want to paint a self-portrait of ourselves. God, we want you to paint that picture in our lives because you see what you want us to be. God, and it's a picture that we can't even imagine. God, help us to lay down anything that's holding us back. God, let us let you be the center of our lives. Amen. Let's go and stand up and let's sing this. If you want to kneel, feel free to kneel. If you want to come down front to kneel, do that. Sing this out.